everyone, and we're live. You're tuning into Cosmic Children. I'm your host, Kevin, and today I have a very interesting individual in the studio with me. Rando, could you please introduce yourself to the listeners and what you do? All right. Uh, thanks, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Um, so I'm the founder of this organization called Books Beyond Borders. It's a social enterprise, very simple idea. We collect books, we sell books, and we raise money for schools in Nepal. Um, and that's basically what I've been doing for the last three years is selling books. I think you've, you've, <laughs> you've, you've kind of perfected the, the elevator pitch right there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, okay. It's very interesting you 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 brought out the term social enterprise. Yeah. I think I was researching for this uh, particular podcast and on your blog, you said the difference between charity and social enterprise. Yeah. And before we delve into what Books Beyond Borders, I just want you, since you touched on it, could you elaborate what's the difference between uh, charity and social enterprise? Because I think in most people's uh, heads, mm-hmm. the, the, the idea between, the idea of both of them is kind of interchangeable. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, first of all, I think there's a lot of different like terminology for you know, but for mine, how I want to believe is is um like I think most charities, uh, most of their revenue comes from like charitable donations, so they raise money um by running fundraising campaigns. Um, for social enterprise, um, you know, you you can be a for profit social enterprise. You can also be a non profit social enterprise. So. Um, your main source of revenue comes from providing or you know a service or selling something for profit and um, using a majority of the profit to do social good mm. but for charities they are um, you know their, their main sole goal is not to make money it's just to uh, raise as much as as much donations as they can to fund um, their project so yep. um, it's, there's no right or wrong good or bad mm. it's just that over the years I I've learned that uh, it's it's you know it's much more sustainable and e- probably easier to scale if you run it as a social enterprise model rather than uh, a charity model. Yeah, yeah. And just just going off what you said, the, the 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 charity model of doing things that you are essentially raising money to do mm-hmm. a project, and if the money runs out, you have to raise money again. Exactly. In itself if we see it like a quote unquote, like a business and yeah. how it should be run, it's not sustainable because you always have to to get money in, correct? Do a project and get money in again yeah it's very donor reliant mm. right so in um in, in in times like these where you know like people are losing jobs yep. and and you know the wallet you're less willing to open up their Troubling wallet times exactly um you know you see a lot of people are just not donating as much as before the pandemic so yep. um, a lot of charities have shut because of these um and and i think these times also kind of like forces us to rethink uh, our business model mm. um, and and find a way that uh, you know how can you scale your your your, your company that's doing social good. Yep. Yeah, was it a recent change uh, to 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 state that Books Beyond Borders is a social enterprise, or has it always been uh, at the core of it? No. So funny thing, um, when I first started the company. In twenty end of twenty seventeen, actually twenty start of twenty eighteen, we ran in like a, a charity. Yep. Yeah, we um we we raised money. We I gave out my birthdays. I sold cookies. I called my friends and families. I basically tap out my whole friends and family list. Yep. You know to ask for donations. And I think the first year it was great. You know you get a lot of support. Friends support you. Your, your family thinks you're doing something noble. And second year you start to realize people stop picking up your call. <laughs> And the third year is like, okay, you have not much friends and families left. So, uh, yeah. So it's, it's a lonely road. <laughs> it's a lonely road. Yeah. Yeah. So it's for me. And, you know, you got to have really thick skin to be like fundraising all the time. And unfortunately for me, I, um, I, you know, I don't enjoy that as much. 
Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So could you speak to the early days of uh, Books Beyond Borders? You, sure. You talked about cooking or like baking cookies yeah, to, baking to sell. Cookies, yeah. So this is an effort to, to fundraise. To raise money. Yeah. Correct. Um, at the very early stage, I did everything I can to raise money. I was very new to this space. I, you know, baking cookies was one of them. I, uh, one thing I did every year was to create a video, put myself on video and um, create a fundraising page and just like uh, relentlessly go out and and seek for donations. Yep. Um, and then, you know, I called my friends to give up their birthdays as well. So, you know, mm. kind of like made use of my friends. Um, and yeah, so, you know, the I think the first two years of Books Beyond Borders was solely just fundraising. And we had this policy where we don't use any donations to fund overhead. So if you were to donate $10, 100% of that $10 goes directly to the school that we are supporting. So we can raise like $10,000, yep. but... Um, I not taken a salary, you know, or I didn't had even had, I remember didn't had enough money to build a website. Mm. Yeah. So um, we could have raised a lot of money, but we couldn't scale. It, it was, there was no business model. It was just um, asking for handouts. Yep. And, um, you know, it was, it was a very unsustainable business model from the very beginning. Yep. Yeah. So it got to a point where you realized that if this Books Beyond Borders is to sustain itself or to even have a longer future, you have to change it somehow. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I won't count myself as, you know, if I'm still in my 18, 19, 20 years old, I could still do this for another two, three years, but I'm, I got to think about my future, you know, like about family and I got, um, I, I got to kind of think about what's my life look like after three, four years. And mm. um, to be honest, I have to look at it as a career rather mm. than like a volunteering stint or just trying to, oh, I got sick of my life trying to, yep go out and change the world for one, two years and go back yep. to my job. So ever, ever since I have that switch that I need to look at it as a career, then, um, you know, that's when I decided to look at it as a social enterprise model. Yeah. That's when everything kind of like changed. Yep. Yeah. So was it something you saw or was it something someone told you or did you consult a mentor as to illuminate you to that particular decision to, to make the switch or was it just you contemplating, uh, you know, perhaps, how, how long am I going to do this? Yeah. yeah. The Well, the first thing that I knew was that I needed to get a salary. Otherwise, <laughs> no one would ever take me seriously. Um, we I could have raised a lot of money, but if I'm not able to pay myself a salary, then, um, you know, it, it just didn't make sense. I also didn't want to go back on my initial promise of using 100% of the donations we raised to uh, fund the project. So even until today, if anyone were to give us $10, we would send a, 100% of the $10 to the field. We would not touch it. So um, I needed a way to earn uh, an additional like site revenue yes. that is not um, dependent on, it is not actually a, a donation. So um, that's when, you know, I started selling books um, because now I'm not asking people for, for money. I'm asking them for books. And yeah. I think in Singapore, uh, if one thing I learned is that people are very generous with their books. Maybe, maybe not so much, you know, giving the money, but mm. when you ask for books, people have tons of them. Yep. So um, what we did was just kind of like rescue these very high quality books and then resell them for a profit. Yep. Um, and what we do now with the profit is we first we pay our overheads mm. and then we use our net profit to fund the project. So uh, it's much lesser. We could have raised much more money asking for donations, but... Um, right now, at least we can have money to invest in like paying a rent, growing the team and invest in marketing, trying to like 
grow the brand. Yeah. Yeah. So it's much better right now. So right now, it functions more like a regular business with a proper runway and you have proper budgets for different things. Exactly. And, yeah. We operate just like any other for-profit company. We yep. compete with just like any other for-profit company. The only difference is where we put the extra money that we earn. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um. So, yeah. So I do have a question. So mm-hmm. why why the interest to, to even do something like this? Because it is admittedly to me very unconventional yeah. to want to do something which I feel it's it's it is pretty noble like because yeah. you are putting yourself out there to serve and to help people in a different country yeah of of a different poverty level yeah yeah so why well I think then we really gotta go back to yeah. how it all started right so maybe I just bring you way sure. back into the journey um I've never volunteered in my life before. I've never made a donation. I'm like kind of like the far end opposite of what you think um, I would be doing right now. So back then I would, uh, my my main goal in life was to become the next Mark Zuckerberg, to run my next company, okay. sell it. And then, you know, yep. um, in I was very interested in startups, business. I knew at the very early stage of my life, I want to be an entrepreneur. Yep. There was one thing I was very sure about. Um, I didn't know what I was going to do, but I knew very clearly that I didn't want to work for anyone else. And um, I guess I spent my last five years working in different tech and startup companies and then eventually got a burnout. So um, I wrote actually on my um, my founding story about this personal mantra that I have of doing one thing that um, scares me every year. Every year, okay. Every year. Yeah. So um, that year in 2017, I took that challenge and spent two weeks walking the Himalayas to Mount Everest base camp alone. And um, my goal was to try to find like meaning and purpose in life. That was just my goal. <laughs> I wanted to get away from everyone. You Were know. you in your early 20s? Yes, I okay. was, I think I was like 25. You okay. Know? Quarter so, life so crisis. Quarter life crisis. Yeah, okay. you know, just nice. <laughs> yeah. um, quarter life crisis. So and did you meet a burning bush over there or, or what's up? <laughs> um, so I... Okay, so the initial goal was to just spend two weeks alone in somewhere where I nobody can like reach to me. Like, I, you know, I cannot get any phone signal, mm. emails, whatsoever. So you're off the grid. Basically. Off the grid, yeah, off the grid. And um, man, that's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I swear to God, if anyone has been to aerospace camp alone, that is not, it's not fun. Is um, it beyond physical taxation? Oh, oh for yeah. sure, man. It's like you walk 10 hours a day and, and I went alone. So I didn't have a guy, no yeah. nothing. And, uh, it was just very lonely. Um, and because I was carrying like 15 kg. Oh man. Okay. And it was like, it's like road march, you know. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like that is weeks. what I was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then of course at a high altitude, you have very little oxygen yep. and stuff. Um, but I think on one of the days, I, day, day six or seven, I met this, um, porter who was walking in the same direction as me. Who? Yeah. His name is Madan. He's mm. a young like porter where they carry goods from one village to another village. Yeah. And he he was following me and I swear to God, during that point, I was so, um, I don't know if it's the altitude that got to me, but I was so paranoid that he wanted to kidnap me for my organ, you know, because I read yeah, news. You hear stories like this. Stories yeah. and like, we're in a place where there's just like bulls, like yucks walking around. It, feel, it felt so much like, you know, Game of Thrones and <laughs> uh, anything can happen. Okay. Uh, and then in, in, eventually I went to talk to him and found out that he was worried that I went to the wrong place. Um, and we just became good friends. We um, we would walk the entire day. We wouldn't really talk much. He couldn't really understand English, but 
I I remember asking him like, why is he doing this? You know, like, is he tired? Yeah. Um, you know, carrying for so many hours. And he started laughing and he said like, I used to walk three to four hours just to get to school, but um, now I have to work. And that was the first time I started to think like, where do kids go to school? Like, where do kids like Madan, why is he not in school? And like, I don't even see bicycles around here. I have absolutely no idea how to, does the school look like. Um, And I think something clicked in me that day. Uh, For some reason, like, I, my head wasn't so much about like, oh, my life sucks. I like, you know, the self-pity and all that kind of stuff. But more about like, uh, I was more concerned about the person in front of me and something that is not me. And um, it was just one feeling that I've never felt for a long time because I, I guess for the last one, two years, I was having that whole self-pity game, you know, yep. like, oh, my life sucks. This sucks, you know, screw the world and everyone's better than me and stuff. Um, and I, I, I don't know, for some reason, I just felt like it's not about, it's not about me now, it's about them. And I just went on this like, this hunt to find a school I wanted to see, I wanted to get more into it. Honestly, I have absolutely no idea what I was doing. I I went back to the local city and just asked the locals if they could invite me to visit a school. And so I spent one month in Nepal. And then when I got back to Singapore, a local actually got back to me on Facebook. He's like, I can bring you to visit a school. I flew that next weekend back to oh, Nepal. Shit. Yeah. So I came back for five days after one month of backpacking and, and he replied to me, I just booked the next ticket. I flew back there. And I just hop on this random guy car. We we drove to um like twelve hours into a village, and that was the first time I visited a rural school that was um at the epicenter of the twenty fifteen earthquake. And when I got there, I saw kids would walk hours empty handed to face like a classroom with blank walls, uh, untrained teachers, and just have nothing to read. It was like it's like a metal. Th- container and um you know i had pictures of that on 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 yep. some of my social media it's uh, it's just devastating and um i remember at that point of time i had i took out a pen and paper and i wrote like i had two i could make two decisions one is i could go back to singapore tell some friends raise some money come back paint some walls and then go back and hit and complain about my job <laughs> in my life or i can um like actually dedicate one year to raise money for schools then um no, it's been three years. <laughs> so, yeah, it's been three years. So yeah. what was the lay of... Th- I think this is just, this segues nicely into what, what what was the lay of the land over there when you first reached? You talked about how, how barren it is. How mm. I guess... How... how I think different doesn't even cut it. Yeah. How different it is it, like, like it is here because, yeah, until I, you actually see it in person, right? Then right. you actually feel it. I think the first thing was I was so used to just pulling out my phone and taking a grab anywhere in Singapore. And for there, it's like, if I want to get somewhere, I need to walk for hours. It's insane. And um, just things that like we take for granted, clean water, you know, like um, hot showers. Oh my God, there's, <laughs> yeah, it's- You get a bucket. Uh, not even a bucket. Not even a bucket. Not even a bucket, man. Like I would say, I would tell locals like, oh, I need to shower and people just start laughing. It's like, what? We just shower once a week or something with cold water. I was like, no way. Mm. Um, so a lot of things that I really had to get used to it. Um, I also noticed a lot of things which make me quite interested. Like I started to see like a lot of men were not at home and um, the, the the mothers were young. The girls would work in the field. Mm. Um, you know, young girls probably 13, 14 already had kids and stuff. So a lot of things that uh wasn't very used to seeing. Yep. Um, 
so the learning curve was huge for me and as the more i learn the more i explore the more i realize that um the world is so much bigger and like there's so much thing i wasn't aware about and i just went on this like rabbit hole of discovering you know like the world beyond our borders you know and and um it's yeah it's even until today i'm still learning something so it's a it's been an incredible journey yeah. were you so you said after the one month backpack backpacking trip and mm-hmm. you got the the notice from someone and you flew back a week later yeah. were you expecting to do anything or were you even expecting anything no i my goal was like i just want to visit a school Okay. I just wanted to, I didn't promise I would do anything for them. I just wanted to visit a school. I just felt like if I didn't see the trip wouldn't be completed. But I and I just still remember the day, that night when I booked that air ticket to go back again. Everyone thought I was crazy. Um but that even until today taught me about something, you know, like sometimes we spend way too much time analyzing things and you know, like some of the best decisions are the most impulsive one. Like just do it and don't think about it so that that night booking that flight ticket was like it kind of changed the trajectory of my whole entire career life purpose and everything um and you know it's it's crazy yeah so now like i try not to overanalyze things too much i just <laughs> yeah even this a reminder yeah yeah it's a reminder so how how did that first trip uh return actually how how did it lead you to to want to continue your efforts to mm. to to deliver books yep. and to deliver some sort of education over there? Right. So um, the first thing when I got back home was to leave my job, was to you know have the courage because back then I had uh, I was in quite a I was working in Bangkok actually and um, Bangkok yeah I was working in Bangkok man <laughs> yeah it's, uh, uh, it's the best place to be when you're in your early 20s <laughs> uh, I was working in Bangkok for one three years and um, had quite a comfortable position and to leave my role was the most difficult part because I had um, like staff under me and like when I left I had an entire team leaving as well um, was there uncertainty in terms of leaving to do something like this uh for sure but initially my goal was you know kind of half half first of like just needed an excuse to travel to nepal again yeah (laughs) and um i didn't want people to think like well he just leave his job and you know like bum around at least i want to do something purposeful plus um i was very interested to see how i could um apply my business acumen and start something that's different rather than like um oh you know just collect some use clothes and sand yep. and stuff like that i really want to do something different and um for me it was an easy decision because i asked myself like would i be doing this if you know in five years time like when i'm much later in my life have a family have different obligation have kids no way man absolutely no way so like if i were to do it it's now it's really yep. you know the longer it waits just insane so um, once I got that out of the way, everything else was just simple already. Yeah. So, so yeah. everything else kind of, would you say it fell into place or was it still, this is just chapter one of a long line of problems that you have to solve looking for? Right. The, the first thing I knew I needed to do was to, um, was to raise money. Um, I knew, I knew I needed some way to find donations. I spent a lot of time just reading books about um, how charities started, how they are run. I talked to a lot of people, a lot of non-profit leaders. Um, 
I guess the most difficult part of me was um, how do I raise money and, yep. and how do I come out and tell the story? What's my story? You know, it's not... Again, if there's one thing I learned, like you can go around telling people like, oh, the kids are dying, the kids are hungry and stuff and people still don't buy that story but people really buy when you come out and tell your own story because when you raise money, it's about when people are donating then there's one big thing I learned is they're not donating to, to the kids. They're donating to you because they trust you. And um, it took me a long time to like figure that out. Like in the first year, I raised so little money because I was just showing kids pictures of kids yep, yep. and stuff. And uh, after one year, I just decided to come out and actually tell my story. Then things started to change. Why Why do you think that is? That is a very interesting thing to, to ponder. Yeah. yeah um, because look, I mean, if you just go to giving.asia, um, there's 101 great organization doing great work. Um and you know just serving all the needy countries and communities around the world but um a lot of them don't you know it's just like oh, it's just in a non-profit just in a charity i think in the whole non-profit charity space the number one thing that's lacking is trust and um i you know I, i've seen a lot of the most successful ones are the ones that the founder um is the founder's story they go and champion the cause they put their face to the brand and um yeah people just donate and support uh, the the person running the project more than the project itself mm. yeah um at least at the very beginning obviously now when you look at you know big organizations like save the children it's really about the cause already yep. but at the very start to really kind of get it off the ground um you know it's really about the story yeah it's, it's very interesting you mentioned that because if we remove the context of helping children yeah and whatever you just said it it is applicable to raising money for a startup. Yes. It's, it is exactly. entirely applicable because people invest in the, the founder exactly. and their vision. Exactly. And if not for the context of, oh, it is for social enterprise, right. it is for charity or whatever. Right. It is essentially the same. You're, you're, you're absolutely right. Like, um, you know, I work in the tech sector, right? Mm. So very common to see startup raising seed rounds yep. Yep. from venture capital. And at the seed round, nobody really care about, you know, everyone has good ideas, right? Yep. They want to invest in the founder. And you have a great idea, but I don't think that you can grow then, you know? Yep. So um, I think that's, you know, I always encourage like people who want to raise money, go and tell your story and don't hide behind a cause. Um, your, 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 your story has to somehow link to the cause, but people are going to support you because of you, not so yep. much at the cause, at least at the very beginning. Yep. Yeah. Did you face any personal difficulty telling this personal story of yours? Um, I, definitely because... Um, you know, like one of the main reasons why I spent two weeks working in the Himalayas because I was, I had bad anxieties. I had very bad anxiety attacks. Um, I was a very shy, introverted person. And um, one of my goal was to spend one month alone in a foreign country where I would put myself in the most uncomfortable position ever because that scared the hell out of me. Okay. Um, back then, um, I had, I would say... I wouldn't even like to eat alone outside because okay. I felt that was weird as hell. Um, so, you know, going all the way to an extent was like a uh, huge, um, how do I say, like, a huge jump for me. And coming up to tell the story would also mean that like what's playing my head is like, okay, man, you know, my family's going to hear about it, you know, and like, you know, I'm always the kind of like, I want to be tough at home. Yep. I want to be vulnerable and all that kind of stuff. Um, so it took me a long time 
to like come out and actually tell um the story and um you know to to actually put my face and the story behind a brand not just um oh you know we're trying to raise money for schools yep. there yeah yeah so it makes a big difference yeah does it does it make you a little bit more vulnerable quote unquote vulnerable in a sense because you are out there your story's yeah. out there yeah it's it is for for people to know to acknowledge yep. even to criticize yeah whatever yeah yeah i for sure um and you know i'm a big fan of you know if you read uh, Brene's brown work mm-hmm. um you cannot be brave without being vulnerable right you cannot find courage without being vulnerable so um yeah definitely you know uh definitely once you come on and tell the story and you're you kind of like drop down all the shield that you're hiding behind then you feel kind of like invincible then the next thing is like okay now how can i like scale this because the thing that's blocking you you kind of like overcome it already and once i was able to kind of go out and tell the story and everything then it's just like i'm going out like all the way like yep. to make sure everyone hears the story yep. you know because yeah so could you speak of the first time that you perhaps return to Nepal with an action plan to do something and how how did you even organize something like this because uh do you do pardon my ignorance but what mm-hmm. is the lay of the land over there what do they have internet is it slower like how do you even communicate do they use phones yeah, yeah. um okay so uh, Nepal is a huge country the main city is Kathmandu um they do have internet but yep. very sloppy sure. um and yeah, so they do have internet. They do they do have uh, you know like basic things and stuff. But if you move further into the rural places, um, a lot of places don't have internet. Um, they one thing I found out was like man in the in the most rural places people have Facebook and they have Facebook. They use their Facebook in their little Nokia phones. So um, there was one thing I was so surprised by how fast Facebook has moved. Mm. Um, they have yeah no internet. Clean water was a thing. Um, like it was very inaccessible. Um, phone. Uh, I've been to places where there's no lights. Yeah, just the entire village is like you know five p.m. It's dark ready. So, um, but again, there are places with uh a lot of these um you know like they they do have um proper lights and water and stuff. So it really depends on which which way you go. Yep. But the places that I travel to most, um, spend most time are usually the ones without all these basic needs. Yep. Um yeah. It's, it seems like there is like in in, in 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 the main city there are certain key infrastructures, but the further you move out, there is a very distinct lack of infrastructure. Oh for sure. Yeah. Even the roads, it's terrible. Mm. Yeah. Like yeah, they just have terrible roads there. They don't have even proper roads until yeah. now. So how how did you decide that let's focus on one particular issue, which is right. education and right. books? Because I've heard of organizations that say they go and they build houses and yeah. build something like that. So how did you decide, okay, let's focus on education. Right. Let's focus on books. And this is the way I'm going to serve this particular community. Okay. Um. The way on how you approach projects have changed, but at the very beginning, um, the 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 initial initial idea was uh, we wanted to um we wanted to collect books in Singapore and send books there. Yep. That was the very initial idea. Um, I did that once and I thought it was a bad idea because the sh- you know to to stuff into my luggage was more <laughs> oh expensive. Yeah, yeah, it was just so expensive. It sounds there. like hell. Yeah, and um the the very first idea was to identify where the schools are. So. Um, I literally just flew to Thailand and I just went to like message random locals on Facebook. Yeah. That's <laughs> like type Nepal and then whoever has a Nepali name, I just like wrote into them. And that's what I did. I stayed in a hostel the whole day and just messaged 
Um, and eventually we got linked to uh Rotary Clubs. Uh, What's they, that? Rotary Clubs. I, we have it in Singapore, so they are like this group of uh individuals who come together as a club members, and every year they do something to help the local community. Um, so in Singapore we have. A lot of Rotary clubs, they, I think, mainly rich people. But in Nepal, we also have Rotary student clubs and stuff. Their main goal is to support the community members. Like with different needs. and With different wants? needs, okay. yeah. So I approached them, told them that um, we're going to find some schools. Like I, I'm going to find the money. You guys going to find a school and then going to um, help carry out the whole operations. But I'm going to find the money. So uh, I just went a lot of meetings and um, we decided that at the, the first project we wanted to do was called the Fuel Backpack Campaign. We they identified a few schools that with students without like school bags and books. Mm-hmm. So um, they will organize the transportation where to buy the bags, the books and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I flew back to Singapore and I just raised money. So um, the first project we raised, I think about $8,000 and then I sent 100% of that, bought the bags and then we went to distribute it uh, to, I think, about 700 students, six schools, some of the most rural parts of the country. And then... So you uh, went to different... Yeah, we actually wow. went. Yeah, we went, we went to different, like, villages mm-hmm. um, and, and did the distribution. So that was the very first project I did. And ever since then, I kind of knew how it operated. Like, um, you... The, the, the way on how you operate in, in all these rural countries, you've got to first find a very... Um, trusted local partner yep yeah um you can't go there and do it alone because you don't speak the language and stuff so the local partner for me even until today is the most um critical part of the whole project so we find a local partner and then um let them identify the needs in the school and for your role it's um to raise the money yeah so i knew my position would be how can i raise the money how can i constantly find the money yeah and um, and then find partners to identify the schools. It's, yeah. it's interesting you said uh, that the, the the partner is crucial and for mm. them to identify the issue and the problem and not for you to identify. Yes. Because I would imagine it would be different. It, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I did a lot of research and I think one of the biggest failure of charities and non-profit is when they try to go to a new country and try to identify and tell them what to do, what they need. Whereas the locals, they know better than anyone else what they need. And I think we shouldn't get in the way of their own community. And, you know, like do what you do best, which is to raise money in your country because the money is big. And then let the locals do what they do best, which is implement a project, the program and find the places that need help the most. I could imagine a scenario where something like that, listening or even giving a listening ear to the locals and having them dictate this project that you wanted to do yourself yes. and you raise money could be pretty humbling because yeah. you need to listen to someone, actually listen and know, oh, we actually want this. Whatever you propose is not that important and yep. it doesn't even fit. Yeah, 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 exactly. I actually have, um, I had a few incidents before, like um, I remember at the very early stage, man, so many mistakes. I think I remember at one village that I went and I was like, okay, we're going to, um, we, you know, I, I, someone told me like, um, it's good to do some handicraft and sell them and stuff. So I thought, okay, that's what we're going to do. We went to a village. We went to speak with some uh, mothers who were single moms. And um, we asked them like what, uh, we asked them like, okay, we're going to teach you guys how to sew like clothes and stuff. And mm-hmm. then you guys can sell and raise money and then you can send your kids to school. Yep. So I was like, we're going to fund the sewing machine and stuff. Everyone thought it was a great idea. Everyone clapped. And then we went to one of the ladies' house to like do a further like follow-up interview. 
I mean, saw like a broken sewing machine inside. And we asked her like, what's that? She said, oh, you know, last year, the uh, the United Nations came, did the same thing. And that's the problem, right? Like, we always think that's what they want. Mm. But then we just f- take some photos and then yep. pass them the stuff and then leave. And you don't teach them how to, for example, fix it when it's down or maintain it or even find a market for them. What, what do they do when they finish sewing the clothes? Mm. Who's going to sell them, you know? <laughs> Um. So, yeah, it's. I think it's a wrong approach to go and say like, "Hey, this is what you need to do." Rather, than you, you ask them like, "What? How can we help? What you already know, you know?" And and then like, let's get out of the way. Yeah, but that involves more than just a pretty picture. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and sometimes it's you know the things that they do. It's not like pretty at all. For example, um, right now we don't um. You know, we used to help set up school libraries and stuff, but right now we fund a range of projects. Um, we we go we work with a partner who works in different schools across the country, and um, every quarter the the partner submits a few proposals to us, asking us like, uh, uh, proposing a few projects they want to start. Uh, it could range from starting a classroom library to starting a science lab. Uh, last month we helped fund a science teacher. We gave a grant to a science teacher to start like a science lab in her school. Wow. Because she wanted to promote, um, like science, uh, you know, chemistry, yep. um, and and you know, we funded the project. So, um, right now there's no one fixed project that we fund. We fund whatever that is most impactful in that particular school, in that particular community, and we give grants. Yeah. So, what were some of the pain points that you have noticed, uh, when you go down and you talk to to the people and the families? Mm. What were some of their pain points? Is it the education? Is it the lack of Let's say you you you're saying yeah you you can make the good, mm-hmm. but there is no means to to sell it because a there's no market b it takes two hours to walk there yeah. two hours to walk but that's four hours right right yeah um I think the very first the biggest issue is always like household poverty um one of the main reason why kids are dropping out of school is because um they just simply had no money so they use their kids as labor yep. so they got to get them to work so. Um, eventually for us, um, the, the key question is how can we create income for their parents and focus more on the parents rather than oh, the kids itself. But that's a problem that, you know, the Gates Foundation and all the big guys are tackling. So, um, again, there's, you know, of course, there are some very successful projects, but um, that's eventually where I want to work in. But for now, we're small. Um, we, we do what we can for the school. Um, but that has always been the biggest problem. It's how can we focus on the parents rather than the students and how can we help the parents uh, generate a sustainable income so that they can then leave their kids in school and not pull them out and then uh, or even have the option to send their kids to a private school rather than a public school. In Nepal, um, one out of three students don't make it out of public school. So when they enter grade one, high turnover, yeah, yeah. high turnover and before grade 10, they will leave. Um, to work or to get early marriage and stuff but I think for p- private school it's up to 90-95% mm. yeah but uh, they actually pay for it yeah and you know when the parents pay money to put a kid in school they make sure that they, they pass their, there's a lot know, of things riding on yeah, the kid to actually pass exactly and if the teacher don't turn up for school you see the parents waiting outside to demand for an answer but mm. in public school um, you can just walk into any public school in a rural village of Nepal or India or any like low-income countries chances are there will be some classes with no teachers inside yeah mm. um, this is a big problem teachers absentees and the parents can't do anything it's free yeah right um so the quality of education is terrible in public school um and 
yeah i think that's um that's that's one of the 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 main reason you know um of of this whole crisis i guess yeah yeah on a tangent are you optimistic about perhaps society coming together to solve this poverty issue because it is a long-standing problem perhaps i mean not too long ago not too long ago maybe like 50 to even 60 years a lot of the world was in poverty and yes. because of technology, because all these different inventions, blah, blah, blah. Like I think the Western countries, most of it is out of it. Right. Even like ASEAN, some of it are still inside, yeah. but a good majority of it is out of yeah. it. So do you foresee a time where it is soft? Oh, for sure. hundred percent, but it's going to take us a while. Um, I think the thing that is slowing things down, it's really just politics, man. You know, it's a lot of corruption and politics and, um, uh, that has to be solved first, you know, like we have enough money to solve the world's problem. I'm very optimistic about that. I think it's just like, it's stuck within the, uh, among the people that we in power mm. and, and until we can figure out how to solve that, then, you know, it's going to take us quite a while. So I guess it's the allocation and the usage. And I guess what you mentioned earlier, like some of these uh, charities are obscure. You, yeah. They are not totally transparent. Right, right. Um, Yeah, so a lot of, those transparency and 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 politics involved yeah otherwise again we have the money um to to solve a lot of problems at least it's good to know it's not a money problem (laughs) it is yeah it's not a money problem we have the money yeah we have the money yeah and also i think in order to really um change things to speed up the process we need a lot more talents in this space and um could you elaborate on that because if if you were to use the word talent in the context of any any company, that makes yeah. more sense. But in a social enterprise, well, what type of talent are you are you looking at? I think just like any other talent you need in a for profit corporation, right? Mm. Like, um, you know, we've we have this notion that oh, if you work in a social sector, uh, sec- sector, you cannot get high salary. Your salary must be low. And you know, honestly, with low salary and you pay peanuts, you get peanuts. How can you attract some of the best talents? Like. People wouldn't want to work for a charity. You want to work in Google, Facebook, the big companies. And um, how are we going to change the world when all the smart people are going, <laughs> you know, the big true. corporation, right? Whereas the ones that needed, um, you, re- you need the real talents to be in the social sector. And imagine all the talents working in all these big companies are in the social sector instead. And we can create technologies and innovation or change. So I think we have to change the conversation at least on why do, you know, stop looking at, a lot of people like to judge the efficiency of a charity or non-profit by how much they spend on overhead. So if you spend a lot of overheads, you're you're bad. Interesting. Yeah. Um, people look at all the PL and say, oh, you're spending way too much money on the people. They get high salary. You shouldn't get this and that. But that's just totally wrong, you know? Mm. In fact, I think they should pay as competitive, just as competitive as the ones working in the corp- different for-profit corporations. Um, and I think once we are able to accept that, then we can attract more uh, you know, talents into this space and, um, you know, like, for example, my parents and families were used to say, like, when are you going to get a real job? You know, mm-hmm. you're working in a social enterprise, you, you know, like, you, one day you got to think about your future, but, like, I'm already thinking about my future, right? Like, um, who says I can't get a salary just like anyone else? Not now for sure. Um, now I'm way far behind, but <laughs> that's the goal, right? Imagine you can work a job that's purposeful, making a difference while, you know, making sure that you're comfortable okay you can never get rich you cannot you can never be um bill gates rich let's <laughs> uh, that's, that's, that's make that clear the, the context of that sentence means that there can only be one bill gates yes <laughs> you can never yes, be a, yes. like that yeah um you cannot be 
and also the image is going to be very different you cannot you know you cannot be trying to run a, a social business and then spend money like Colin McGregor you know <laughs> they don't make sense so um, they, sure there are some things that you can't do but you still can you know have a nice car nice um, place go on vacation you can lead a very comfortable lifestyle while working in a social company and um, and that, that's, that's my dream you know to really combine what I love doing and um, and, and looking at it as a, a long-term career it's what I'm excited about yeah. yeah and then you know once I'm able to do it then you open the doors for a lot of people at least the young people out there to say like hey it's possible man you know I don't have to work in a bank or yep. be an investment banker and yep. stuff like that yeah I think just just looking at how uh people of a younger generation uh think about the idea of work I mm. think there is sort of like a paradigm shift sure money is ultimately important because yeah. of the society we live in you need to pay for things you need part of goods all that shit but there is also the important social aspects that, that people are considering Mm-mm. case in point like if the let's say if if if, if it's a faceless bank yeah. and you go into a bank to work chances are people will burn out they will yep. get to a certain point in their life and they realize what am I living for and all the other things and then they will look perhaps do uh, something social related yep. and if on, from the onset there is a there is a possibility that you could work in a social enterprise yep. for competitive pay yep. in accordance to whatever sector is outside I think yep. that is certainly a, a a way to think about work because it's, right. if I always believe that social enterprises or something like social work will attract the kind of people that actually want to do it because right. it's not for everybody exactly yeah. exactly like the talent you can have the talent let's say if you're a web designer to code, to code and to design everything but to get someone to do to go on the ground to actually interact with these people and to yeah. have the empathy to do it, I think mm-hmm. that's a separate thing. It is that, it that is. can't be bought, that can't be taught. That is right. a totally different set of skills. Yeah. And it's not for everyone, yep. you know, like it's not for everyone. But like I, I totally agree with you, it's changing. I think at least a lot of young people right now are seeking that. I mean, we spend three quarters of our life working, man. And that's, that's what I always Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> I know, man. Um, three quarters and maybe like 20% of the one quarter sleeping. <laughs> yeah, really exactly. Like exactly. 80% of that. <laughs> right. And now with the whole pandemic, uh, yeah. work from home, you really kind of blur the lines between work and home, uh, work and, and, and play already. So, um, three quarters of life is a lot. And why, you know, like at least I, again, I don't want to speak for everyone else, yep. but for me, I, I really want to do something that um, I, uh, you know, I really enjoy and I wake up like inspired by and you know again i'm one of those lucky few that found it and i was so reluctant to let it go yep. yeah that's why i try to work so hard yeah. would you would you consider it your 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 purpose to to create this particular idea of a of a social enterprise that is able to sustain itself mm. with regards to or, or whatever project and to attract the talent would you consider like the purpose to 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 do this yeah um I'm not sure if I would call it purpose, but like that's the goal. I mean, um, I would love, I think I would consider my purpose to be able to inspire through doing what, again, like what most people aren't doing, going this path and making it like people could see like, hey, it's possible, you know, and hopefully get to inspire other people to um, go out and try new things. You don't, you don't have to go and change the world, right? But hopefully get to inspire some people to um, go out and maybe do one thing that scares them. Go out that outside their comfort zone and do a thing. And who knows, you might 
create some change in yourself or create some positive change in the world around them. Yeah, and that's what I, I think my purpose is. I'm so inspired to 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 do this every day because I know that um, you know, someone hearing the story may be inspired to mm. not again, not go out and change the world, but like say, hey man, maybe there's something I really want to do, but I'm just afraid of how people think and do this and that. And you know, just go out and try to do something different. Yeah. It's it's interesting that this idea of going out to change the world, quote unquote, is very prevalent. But yes. hearing from your story, the first thing that changed is yourself. Yeah. You you exactly. went there and you had a you you met the burning bush and yeah. you met the kid mm. and you had a change in thinking, which yeah. starts from you. Exactly, exactly. Um yeah, you know, it's it, books beyond borders. Um is more than just a, a project, it's a personal life goal and I um, I used to tell my friend like, um, uh, don't don't ask me like what I'm doing, but ask me like who I'm becoming. Mm. And um, you know, if you will speak to me five years ago, I've I've changed a lot. You know, I've um, I'm more inspired to get things right. I have great habits now, which I <laughs> I, I would consider um, great good habits yeah. that I um, ditched a lot of like bad habits I have, and I was you know back in the days and stuff. So it changed me as a person. And uh, so it's not just about the work, it's about the whole life, which I'm, I'm very excited about. Yep. Yeah. So going back to what Books Beyond Borders do, um, you bring books to them and you do different types of projects with them. Yeah. How was their, how, how was their response to it? Because mm. you, you talked about the education system over there. And sometimes if it's the, the village is rural, there might not be teachers there to teach, which uh, as presumes the fact that... Um, even though you might bring the books to them, they might not be able to read. They yeah. need someone to teach them. Yeah. Yeah. So how 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 was that? Yeah. yeah so I, I we actually don't bring books to mm. them. Um. We we collect books in Singapore and we sell them in Singapore. Ah. Yeah. Um. And then we raise the money and we give out grants to organizations that are working in a school. So for example, one of the organizations we are working with right now is um, Teach for Nepal. And what they do is they train teachers, uh, some of the smartest teachers in 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 the capital. And they put all these teachers in uh, all the rural public school for two years to teach. And we give them grants so that they could cover like teacher training programs. Um, we give them grants so that teachers could start their own projects. For example, like I say, the science club or, um, you know, they want to start a classroom library. Um, and and that's what we do. So uh, our partners, which is why I explain it's very important. They are the one that ensuring they've spent decades making sure that their, their work in the classrooms are impactful. Mm-hmm. And for us, um, we our, our job is to raise the money and fund their most successful projects. Yeah. So they'll let us know, for example, um, what they are intending to work, what's the expected impact, um, and then how much they need to do that. And we will decide whether or not we want to fund the project. So it's a little bit like a foundation. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's how Bill Gates runs his foundation. Mm-hmm. He don't, Go to the village and say, "I'm going to build this for you." He he he. They provide seed grants to, um, to 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 all little organizations who have an great idea, and he gives them the grants to scale. So it's it's almost like a venture capital. I, I, that is exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly. How how has the impact been? Have Have you heard back from uh? people who have went through some of the the, the programs that they started? How has yep. the impact been? Okay, so um, we've only been doing this for. Um, now close to three years the first year was very straightforward it was distributing of materials yep. so kind of like a one-off thing so um, education for the impact is very difficult to measure because um, it's not like 
healthcare, for example, you fund, um, you know, fund a surgery for a kid or something like that. It's long term. You could probably got to see, um, follow the kid through yep. going to secondary school and yep. stuff. So I, I, I cannot give an actual, um, like light. We change whose life and stuff. But for now, we raised, uh, slightly over thirty thousand dollars for um an organization with help train and fund teachers in more than a dozen schools across the country now um there's a few different projects that we've done we've set up about four school libraries already that's still operating right now um this year actually two three months ago we helped rebuild a school that was destroyed by uh, a flood uh, four classrooms were destroyed so we raised money um through a combination of donations and using our profits from selling books um to help rebuild the classroom so that um, you know kids can continue going back to school we have pictures and videos of that um and yeah so i look at how much our partners are uh, have done because of the grants we've given uh and that gives me the confidence that you know we are we're on the right track yeah what other signifiers would would looking out into the future what mm. other signifiers would determine that as you said you're on the right track um I guess the number one um, indicator for me, which is again still very difficult to achieve, is how much have our partners um, or our grants have helped decrease the number of dropouts in a certain school. Um, but that's a very expensive indicator. Like you need to do, uh, it's very difficult to test how mm. your programs actually reduce. Yep. Uh, the dropouts and stuff but I, I would say that's a very big indicator of how successful your projects are uh, unfortunately right now we're not at that stage yet to test that but if we can move towards that fund projects that um, maybe have an impact in, in in reducing school dropouts I think that's the one thing that I would love to tackle because that's one thing that um, the longer you can keep the kids in school the higher chance of them completing the education moving to you know university colleges and stuff so um, I think that, that that's still the most important uh, factor. So yeah. I guess in a way, uh, a quote unquote like a problem, like keeping kids in school. There yes. are it's there are multiple solutions to to solve oh, for sure. one problem, but it's yeah. about finding one that would best fit the local context mm. with uh, the amount of resources that you have to yes. ensure like perhaps a high efficacy or efficiency rate. Correct. Correct. So there's a few, like I mentioned, there's a few uh, solutions. The number one is you can figure out how to get their parents' money because their parents are the ultimate, ultimately are the ones who decide whether or not their kids go to school. So kids are young, I assume? Yes, uh, I think secondary school, wow. primary okay. to secondary school, yep. yeah. So if you can figure out how to get income for their parents, then, um, you know, kids stay in school. That's a that's the highest assumption. Um, but it's like one problem will lead to another problem. Uh, yes, yeah. <laughs> So, you know, it could it could be that um the parents are earning money and then now they need their kids so they can earn more. Yep. And then they still drop it out and you have no control over that. Yep. Yep. Um, you know, another option which I knew some nonprofits have done is like they provide meals for the school. And mm. research have shown that when there are more meals uh in school, kids just attend just they, they are more motivated to go to school just because they are cooked meals. So, so incentivization. Exactly. So there are some I know some charities that provides like meals to school. Um I also think one of the biggest factors is the quality of the teachers. So 
um if you have untrained teachers unmotivated teachers in school kids are they fight with the teachers very often they are not motivated to go to school then uh high chance of dropping out so um that's where we are very excited about which is uh, supporting quality teachers training program um and, and that's where our grants are going right now um and and to support that 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 which is investing in teachers yep. Yeah. It's interesting you mentioned all that because I could imagine um, a very ham-fisted way to do this is to gather all your resources to go there and just to give them these things but without actually understanding yep. uh, what are these small little problems that you might not encounter when you go there but yes. the people will know right, right. because them arguing with the teacher that is such a niche problem and a very like yes. it happens once every like two three times that right, you right, probably right. might not even notice yeah, yeah but yeah. the very ham-fisted way to do it is like oh I bring all these things I give it to you you're mm. expected to perform but right. life doesn't work like that exactly yeah it doesn't work it's much more complicated and um, even until today there's a, a lot of different issues like um, in in the cast is a big issue in Nepal the what sorry the cast system okay. so yeah so in Nepal uh, everyone has a different caste it's like your yep. you know your ranking and yep. uh, when you're from the lower caste I've met kids from the lower caste before um, wow the experience crazy. They, they can't sit with the rest of the kids um, they can't drink from the same water they can't play together they can't go to each other's house um, it's horrifying it's horrifying yeah. yeah and I have kids students walking up to me in school before asking me like hey um just now like the kid you're talking to which cast was he from just to make sure that um you know we can be friends you know because like my parents wouldn't allow that he, he just wanted to make mm. sure so it's a big thing um and these are kids kids man oh. it's crazy yeah um and you have like girls have one of the biggest advantage there they i think child marriage is the biggest thing mm. at least in the places that i've been um, you have places where when girls have their periods, um, yep. they it's like a taboo. That means they are like they 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 are, they are possessed, oh, no. okay. so they can't go to school. They can't even sleep in their own homes. Yeah. Um, and when you get all these things combined together, it's a complex problem. That's it's, it's cultural. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So it's not a one. You can't get a one size fit all solution to solve education. But I'm very optimistic about solving this problem because um. I don't think we should look at it as like, hey, it's way too complicated. We shouldn't do it at all because uh, I've seen projects that have impact before. I've seen uh, our local partners have inspired kids to go out and change and, and inspire their friends, their siblings and stuff. So I know um, I know it works. Uh, although it's not, again, it, it won't solve the world's problem, but um, you know, we shouldn't deter anyone from going in and trying to start something and try even if you feel like, for profits and startups have, you know, nine or ten start fail, right? Yep. Why can't non-profits and social businesses like try things and fail? Yeah, so, yeah. Is it ever overwhelming? I, I can imagine one of the reasons why uh, people don't try to do uh, businesses with a social cost because it is overwhelming. Yeah. And it's overwhelming borderline realistic. As as, as as we just pointed out, the the problem of uh, kids not going to school or mm. kids not learning is linked to their parents. Yep. And the parents' problem is linked to the cultural problem. Right. And the cultural problem is linked to their history. Right, right, so when right. you consider all these different, like the mind map of problems you have to yep. solve, and you're like this one individual mm. trying to raise funds to do this. I yep. mean, like yep. the, the odds are unfortunately against you. Yeah, yeah. 
But I think my advice to people is to pick one problem that you're familiar with and you want to commit yourself to doing it and then like just do it and then partner with people that are doing other things. For example, you want to, if you want to invest in teachers, then you can partner with an organization that's providing meals and then you work in the same school together. And then you work with an organization that's focusing on parents. So like you, you work collectively and try not to recreate the wheel and overlap each other. I think that's again happening very often. So it would make no sense if I were to, um, I would not work with a local partner, but try to create something mm-hmm. there. And then I'm competing with the local organizations that are really trying to do something different. Yep. So um, I made it very clearly, we, we are not trying to start something. Our, our position stays as what it is. Our job is to raise money. This is one thing local partners don't have access to. Um, is to tell a story, raise some money, and then partner with organizations that have they already have boots on the ground working on the projects mm-hmm. and we fund them. So it's yep. like a partnership. It's not like, there's no competition. Yeah. So it's to raise capital and to capital allocate, like, basically. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Have you had the chance to go back to Nepal since COVID? Hit? No, man. No? I came back um because they were closing down. So I spent mm. about three, I go to Nepal about two, three times a year. Um, okay. And I spent about one month there. So I've actually been there 10 times already since the first time I've been there. Mm. Um, and no, I haven't been back. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's the longest time. Yeah. It's sad because uh, it's important for me to go back because every time when things get hard here in Singapore, uh, going back there kind of reignite that fire, that passion and that purpose. And, um, you know, sometimes I, I fall into this space like, oh man, you sure, you know, all your friends are, yeah, yeah. you know, and then you start comparing and um, yeah. And then, you know, like the, the trip is very important for me, not just to see the work, but also, uh, you know, remind yourself why you're doing this. And I've been two years, the longest time since I've been there. So it's very difficult for me. Yeah. So for the record, it's not like when he started the, the social enterprise, it's, it's a smooth sailing. There are oh, still problems of course, every day. Okay. Every day, man. For the record. <laughs> of course, man. Every so the movie doesn't end when you start the social enterprise and no, everybody's man. happy. It's like when you, every day is a new fire you have to fight. Yeah. It's, it's tough business, man. So to, so to reflect uh, the, the conversation back uh, to Books Beyond Borders locally, mm-hmm. do you, have you expanded the team or is it still just you? Um. Okay, so I've, very thankfully, I have uh, a great bunch of volunteers that comes every week to help out in the little space. We just moved. Um, finally, we just decided to move. I got kicked out of my aunt's uh, office. Yeah. <laughs> so it's less of you deciding to move and you getting kicked out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So I started. From, actually, started from my grandfather's bedroom, spare bedroom, and yep. then I saw the pictures. Oh, you saw the pictures. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then um, my aunt kind of politely kicked me out of her office because <laughs> like just had way too much inventory and then this finally got our new space and now with my new space I'm very happy that because like now I have volunteers coming in every week um, I've got one intern I'm trying to hire another intern um, and hopefully get to grow it which is only possible when I look at it as a social enterprise because now we have profits and I could invest in growing it uh, whereas it's not possible I would feel bad using donated money to try to hire an intern or to pay a rent yep right Um. so right now it's 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 growing yeah so, I, I believe you're storing it at the store hub and you got that one as a okay so um, that is quite interesting yes uh, store hub Okay, very, very thankful to Store Hub. Well, if they ever hear this, I need to make sure that I feature <laughs> them because they gave me um, a, a container mm. 
when uh, my grandfather's um, room actually exploded and I was so panicky because I was putting all the boxes outside my house and the Wait, town you're brushing it over. Like, the room exploded. I mean, like, no, like, we there's absolutely no place oh, to walk. I thought yeah. the room exploded. No, 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 okay, no. okay, gotcha, uh, gotcha. I mean, it looks like it had an explosion. <laughs> um, but there was just way too many books coming yep. in. I was storing outside. You know, I live in the HDB. You know, yep. the town council was yep, happy. Yep. My neighbors and... Yep. Uh, yeah, the folks at StoreHub loved the story so much. They gave me a big container for a year and I could like stuff my inventory there. I still there actually. Um, so yeah. And then when StoreHub got full, then I went to my aunt's office because she had a little spare office. Yeah. And then that got full again. Yep. So, yep. <laughs> so was this a store right now? Was it like a milestone of yours to actually have the space? Oh, for sure. Because right now, um, we are open to the public. Uh, it's no longer like if you come to visit us on the weekend, people can come in and it's like a little exhibition yep. slash bookstore where people can come and see the project and actually hear and see. Uh, and you know, I get to share the story in person. It's very it it changes the game because back then it was more like social media and yep, yep, you know yep. like selling books online, very transactional. But ever since people get to see the person behind the brand, see how things are run, then um. In terms of book donations, we're getting much more right now. Um, you're also getting a lot of traction. A lot of people are just buying books from us and regulars. We have people coming every weekend. Yep. Um, and yeah, we've been on a very comfortable uh, you know, growth yep. right now. Yeah. So I want to I shift the conversation back to you wanting to invest in, I think, the interns you were saying. Yeah. Are you looking for anything in particular? What mm. I mean by that is like, what... Why? Why these particular interns that you you are considering to 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 bring on the team? Mm. You mean, what am I looking out for an intern, or why am I looking for an intern? It's like what interns are to me a dime a dozen. That interns they serve different functions and right. they have different capabilities. But why them in particular? Have they worked with you for a bit, or are they like are they a more inclined to 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 perhaps be on the ground let's say when you go over like mm, is there mm. anything particular like that no because we cannot afford a full-timer <laughs> <laughs> okay. yeah that's the truth man we can't afford a full-timer man yeah, yeah um okay. i've uh, i've worked with interns before and they are you know they are, they are young and motivated they ready to roll up their sleeve and get you know like um you know they're they just hungry and i i love working with interns we have you know i've worked with some really smart motivated interns and um, you know, sometimes maybe even better than than full timers, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think at least for now, at least for the next one or two years, if I get a chance, I'll just hire all interns. Yeah. Is there a particular type of attitude you're looking for? Um, okay, I am looking. I'm definitely looking out for someone with um high energy. So I'm, for me, that's a big thing. I, you know, you know, there are sometimes you just. Uh, you meet those people and they just suck the energy out of you, you know, like a vampire is suck. And it's a tough thing, man. Like sure. it's a it's a tough business. And there are a lot of times where, you know, we deal with secondhand books, right? Yep. So it might look nice on the outside, but on a day to day, you're just like sorting and dusty old books yep. and stuff. And it's not fun. Mm. Um, and the only way it's fun if we make it fun. Yep. So, um. Uh, the volunteers that we have right now, they are extremely fun, extremely optimistic, uh, just energetic. And although we're just doing something like sorting books and data entry and stuff, but um, that's so important in order to keep the the whole culture of what we're trying to do. Yep. Um, 
Uh, so so energy level is like super important for me. So the contrast yours. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> okay, okay. Yep. So in in collecting secondhand books, I've seen uh some documentaries about other organizations collecting secondhand stuff, mm-hmm. and people often use it as a guise to dump their old stuff. Oh, Let's for say for sure. secondhand food, right? Secondhand clothing. I've seen some uh they do like a like a journalistic uh, mm. video on it and people just give expired food stuff like that so what have you seen when, when people give like these secondhand <laughs> things like I want to know yeah everything man like bibles and <laughs> the Quran um, do you have um, uh, let's say we will not accept these things oh or? for sure yeah, yeah. Uh, back in the days like we didn't have so you mm. get anything that's made of paper and it's like we had toilet we had toilet papers also for real yeah it's everything um okay. toys and stuff they're like okay we only give you books and then you under the books this stuff like you know like things that like yeah just fouls and all that kind of stuff um so yeah you definitely look like a bit of like kalanguni yep, yep um but now we have like quite of a uh strict process that Anyone who wants to donate a book have to send uh at least a photo of like the book and we'll decide whether or not we want to take it. Mm. Yeah, and if you want, we actually pay for a courier to pick it up from your house. Yeah, mm. so it's quite easy for the people who want to donate. Yep. But we also have this quality check whether or not like it makes sense for us to spend the money. Yep. Yeah. What so. is your own um personal history with books? Are you a big reader or? Uh, funny story. No. Um, I actually have never mm. finished a book until I was like twenty twenty one. I just like hated books. <laughs> Um, and I guess I just started reading when I was in the army and ever since then I was just so into like ever since I decided to change my life to like really focus on getting serious with it uh, I found a lot of answers and inspiration from reading biographies I'm a big fan of memoirs biography and self-help Um, and yeah so then I think from then on I just started like collecting books and buying and reading even I now I have a big library in my own home yeah yeah but so. is it still uh solely focused on the the biographies and memoirs or have you uh skirted the parameter and tried different genres but I think one of the more interesting things about books in mm-hmm. general is that if they're the sort of by by categories but yes. even within these categories there is also like very different niches yes. about, about stuff sure yeah. um well first of all I'm not a big fan of uh, novels and fiction. Okay. Um, Why is that? Uh, you don't like to read about dragons? No. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I I know my friends been telling me like, Yo, you need to start reading more fiction novels. I get it. Yep. I Okay, first of all, I'm very bad with names. Okay. Um, And like in novels, they have like 10 characters, 10 names. And I, after like five pages, I can't keep track <laughs> where, which character is one. So it's tough on that. Um, but I also don't really enjoy watching movies. I only enjoy watching like documentaries and stuff because I feel like every information I consume, I need to learn something. Again, I don't think that's a good, um, I think that's quite disruptive because you're always on the work mode. Yep. So I don't know. I just don't enjoy if I don't learn something out of it. Like yep. I need to watch a documentary. I yep. can't watch like Squid Game. No, I have not watched Squid Game. Um, I have not- Do you know the premise of it? Have people told you? No, I think it's about it's sort of like a dystopian thingy where it, the rich. It is basically a death game. I know, I know, for, I know. For money. But yeah. I, yeah, but I know there's some meaning behind it and stuff. However, they interpret it, but like it's not real. Like you know, like I I can't watch. I haven't watched Game of Thrones, Pirates of the Caribbean, like all these famous things I didn't watch. Um, so yeah, you know, just at least for now, 
a lot of great memoirs, um, uh, non-fiction philosophy. I love philosophy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, self-help, anything that I can learn something from. Yep. Yeah. So what, is there a particular uh, style of curation for the books that come into Books Beyond Borders and mm-hmm. then they go onto the shelf? Is yes. there a particular, yeah. What for is that sure. Like? Um, so, uh, the very first thing we do is we look at like the, the quality of the book. Um, there are some books that have been published like decades ago. We Definitely. don't even put that up. So like quality when it's published, um, we give it a ra- rating like how 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 we think they the highest possibility of them we, we are selling them because if we put out a book that no one's want to buy then it's just it's, it's, it's going to take up shelf space. Yeah. yeah. So we give them a bit of rating and um, when it's published and uh, yeah, if it's so we now basically take a shelf those that you know, whatever you'll see at Kinokuniya, for sure. Yeah. And like really high quality books. That's just what we focus on right now. And very surprisingly that people are very generous to give those away. Yeah. So. Are you like always surprised by the generosity of people um, giving away all these things to 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 sell and to, to, to fund the whole thing? For sure. Like our whole entire business model is betting on the generosity of people. If you have a chance to go visit our space, we had um, 5,000 books right now. Every single one was donated by people and um, we wouldn't have been able to run this if people would not buy or donate their books to us. So it's like a bet on generosity, you know. Um, so we, you know, I'm very grateful for that. Yeah, just a lot of very generous people out there. So yeah. if so if if we were to look at like this, at this like a uh, conventional business, how, mm-hmm. how does this scale? Do you perhaps take on uh, different second-hand items from people? Do you go beyond, just beyond books? Yep. <laughs> yeah. How, uh, how does that look like? Well, that's, that's a great question. Honestly, I, I thought about it, but I just try not to spend too much time thinking about it. Um, look, Amazon started selling books. I'm not saying it's not possible. I just got to remove the word books from the <laughs> title. Uh, uh, it, it's definitely possible. What I'm trying to do right now, hopefully, is to build a brand, not a, not a book business, because when you build a brand, you can sell anything. Like Nike yep. doesn't just sell shoes. Um, and, uh, I'm still again right now finding like what our brand stands for, what, um, what's our tonality, who, um, uh, you know, who our target audience and stuff. But one thing I know for sure is that, um, I'm trying to build a brand that inspires, uh, through the work we do. We want, hopefully want to inspire people. Books for me has always been, uh, a thing where we just bring people together, but it was never about the book. Book is just a book, but everyone who's been, at least to my new space on the weekend right now. Um, I've made so many new friends, heard so many stories of trauma and this and that. And I was able to connect with so many people and actually build a, a community now at the space that I That's have. Cool. Um, and it would not have been possible if, you know, we didn't have sort of like these common interests of books. Uh, and just books have these amazing things like food. You get to bring people around the table and you can just have great conversations. And, um, and I guess that's, that's a that's the special thing about what we're doing. Um, books allow us to bring these people of a common interest, uh, common purpose together, and then um, you know, something magical is happening. But I just haven't kind of like figure out what it is yet. But I know a lot of very um great things have happened. That like th- this podcast is a result <laughs> of you know uh your friend yep. being there yep. bought some books 
introducing me and now I'm speaking to you. That's because of books. Uh, and it was never happen if we don't have a space and had books. And It's very so, circumstantial. And I mean, you can plan scenarios, but it's very difficult to plan these things. Exactly, right? Um, so, you know, there, there's a lot of possibility of us moving out of, outside there, but I just need to be laser focused right now. Yeah. It sounds like you're, you're kind of on your way, I mean, to, to figuring out what the brand is about. Yeah. Because I've never, I've never read or heard the word brand with a social enterprise before. Mm. Like I've never seen it in, in the same sentence. It's right. usually a brand or it sells products. It's, it's usually for profit to the maximum. Right, right. But social enterprise, at least my perception of it going into this conversation is a little bit more conservative. Mm. You don't be too extravagant. Right. You, you try to be, um, how to, to live a very modest life. Mm-hmm, but to, mm-hmm. to combine these two together, it sounds very interesting. Yeah, that's I think that's, that's how it should be run, you know. Otherwise, you can't scale at all. Mm. Yeah, and how you, how are you gonna compete with the for profits, right? So I I think that's that's important thing to think about. Yeah. So I'm curious to know. Um. You you don't watch movies, you read a very small curated selection of books. Yeah. I'm curious to know if there has been something you consumed media wise recently that surprised you. Surprised me. Uh. Yeah. Wow, that's a. Hmm. Oh, no eh. I don't think <laughs> okay <laughs> was it a lead up question or something no. like for you mm, let me think I think so recently on do you have Netflix yes okay. uh, not, not okay. my account actually it's my <laughs> okay. it's okay yeah. so um, I won't say something that surprised me but I, I went in expecting the worst so there's this series called Arcane okay it is based off uh, a very popular game called League of Legends okay and uh there's a lot of characters inside. Right. Uh, to 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 summarize it, it it does a very very good job of it's animated, mm-hmm. but the animation style, I think, from my point of view, it's uh it's really top tier because it melts the best of two D art mm. and the best of three D art and you combine it together. And right. one of the fears about productions like this is because it's 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 a big production. Mm. You have a lot of um capital money. You have right. a lot of like investor relations riding on this particular IP to do well mm. and. More often than not, uh, the meddling of the studios would corrupt the actual vision of it. Right. But the surprising thing about this particular uh, series called Arcane is that they they did... So imagine a gymnast doing the set. Right. And towards the end, they stuck the landing. And that's always... Uh, mm. it's, like a, it's like a very nice show because... Right. More often than not, they would, they would do all these fancy things like if it's a gymnast they do all these fancy things but they don't stick the landing right and if you look it up online maybe because the studio the the, the studio controlling wanting to do something different mm-hmm. they don't trust the creative enough or all these different problems but right, right. for that it, they stuck the landing and it shows because it's such a runaway success right based right. off a video game property which many people have, have, have said that video games are very difficult to adapt mm-hmm. because as a medium um, it's a very different medium Right. to books right. and to film and each mm. has its own different properties like movies like you can do editing right, and right. I spoke to like a director before he said one of the one of the key features of a movie is like time right. you can play with it but for let's say a piece of music mm. you only have four minutes right, but right. you can play with the different layers mm. yeah same well, thing for books yeah right 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 Oh, it's a different way. Okay, maybe that's one thing one, one show I'll watch it's <laughs> not documentary <laughs> so if we were to steer away from the media questions, mm-hmm. what type of philosophies have you learned or even picked up along the way that 
you have kind of adopted into your own frame of thinking. Because philosophy, I don't think they teach it in school. At yeah. least not when, when I was in primary, secondary. And it's something that perhaps you read about it or mm. someone told you about it mm. and you were curious enough to go and find, oh, who is this Marcus Aurelius? Who is right. this Socrates fellow? Right. Then you right. go and look into it on the internet on your own accord. Yeah. Yeah. Or you go and you stumble upon like a secondhand book, bookstore, you find this book, or maybe you read it. So right. it's a very happenstance thing as yes, well. Yes. So I'm curious to know um, what phrases or teachings from olden philosophers have you adopted or have you like took into your own uh, outlook of life? Right. So I'm very, very new to philosophy. I think um, one of the books I picked up which have impacted a lot of my life was Man's Search for Meaning mm. by Viktor Frankl. I yeah. read that when I was in the very early stage of building this company. It's a deep book, man. It's a deep book, yeah. It's <laughs> a deep book, but... Uh, not as deep and hardcore as Meditations by, yeah. you know, Marcus Aurelius. Yeah. That's, even until now, I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. Um, I recently get very interested in reading about Stoicism, um, reading a lot. I mean, I've heard that term for a long time, but just never had, like, the energy or the headspace to really go and, like, understand what it is for. Um, but in the recent, like, last one, two months, I've just been, like, catching up a lot of that. Um, so that's that's one of the area of philosophy that I'm reading, but but again, super su- surface level. Yeah. What a surprise to you. So within this one or two months of reading and mm. actually looking, because it's funny, like stoicism is a term being thrown around. A lot yeah. of these terms are being thrown around, right. and people will have a general idea of it mm. until they go beyond the Wikipedia page. Yeah. Until yeah. they actually go and uh look at Marcus Aurelius or Socrates or whatever, and they actually go and look and reflect yeah. and ponder. And think about because a lot of times these are written ages ago. Right. And the writing, um, the writing style is so different. Yep. A yep. Lot, it's in the Roman times or whatever. Right. So what was surprising to you? Like when uh, while while reading it, yeah. Okay, I so I read meditations, like not done yet. It's a yep. thin book, but like it takes you ages. Yep. Um I say that one of the, the most surprising thing was um Marcus Reyes, he's one of the most powerful men in the world at the time when he wrote meditations, and you could um, you could see like he's just like any one of us. He can't wake up. He, uh, he get pissed off with himself for things that's like so trivial. And uh, it made me realize that we are all the same. You know, you can be the most powerful person in the world, but you have at least the, you, we all have the same problem. We're all fighting the same battles in our head. And we're all trying to figure out how to solve these. So, um, yeah, that was very surprising for me. And it's also like, uh, it's, it's why I love it so much because it's not like they're telling you, hey, this is the way. But I think at least for meditations, it's more like he's discussing with himself, writing the things they've learned and we're just like looking at his diary. Yep. Yeah. So it's, 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 inter- it's interesting to consider that because perhaps when he wrote those things, when he yeah. was still alive, he didn't expect it to be published. Exactly. It's like a diary of sorts, right? Right, right, right. But exactly. I think right now in 2021, the technology dictates that it's hyper-transparent. Right. Everybody is showing the vulnerability, the success, right, right. The, maybe less of the failures, but mm. it's hyper-transparent. Now. Right, right, right. Do you, s- what are your thoughts on it? Like in modern day society, not about uh, stoicism or whatever. What are your thoughts about uh, things being so hyper-transparent or even being like, What's the word for it? Hyper-real? Is it hyper-real? Yeah. It being so um, dramatized that nothing you... It's, it's, it's very difficult to put faith, to, to believe that something is actually for... Mm. Uh, something is actually real because it could be done up for drama. Right. It could be done up for a variety of reasons. Mm. 
You mean like the content out there mm. right now? Um, yeah, I mean, that's or do why you not partake? I, I try not to. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I try not to be on social media too much. Although like, because of the nature of my work, I have to. Um, but honestly, man, I, I, I'm not a big fan of social media. Yeah, I, um, it, I, I, sometimes I fall into this hole of like looking at what everyone else doing and then trying to compare myself, which is very disruptive for me. I got to admit like that's a big problem for me. So I just try to spend as much time as I can not, you know, consuming any content. But then again, I fall back into it. It's like a little dark rabbit hole <laughs> that, you know, once you see on content and you get in. So, uh, yeah, I, I, that's this one I'm afraid about. Yeah. Interesting. Um, Oh, I lost my train of thought. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what about you? Are you um uh a, you use a lot of social media? Mm, I use. How's it to, your consumption like? I use it to to. I'm. I use it to just look at what other people are doing from the art side. Mm, I don't mm, follow too much. Inspiration. About, definitely, but even that has its own uh failures mm. because unfortunately you can't create and avoid. But right. in in collecting all these inspirations, um, you tend to to subconsciously produce them when right. you're doing. But that's the paradox, uh, You mm. or you always want to do something original, right? But inherently, nothing is ever original. Yes, because you're always looking, and right. you don't consciously. Oh, let's say there is a pattern there, or there's this alien here. Mm. You're, you're not doing that because right. you are taking in so many different things. Right, right. But to be inspired. As a creative, naturally, you attend to, let's say, if you're a musician, you'll listen to music. Mm-hmm. As a visual artist, you'll look at visuals. Right, yeah. right. So I think that's always the paradox. Right. Uh, I I put it on the side mm. because I think it's also um, important to look outside of uh, the the sphere you're in for right. inspiration. Right. I think it's always, always important. Right. But as with everything, moderation. Moderation, <laughs> yeah. I use Instagram or TikTok? TikTok? I don't use TikTok. <laughs> I think it's, TikTok, the, the success of TikTok is very interesting to consider because uh, we're born in the 90s yeah. and we have experienced the analog and the digital, right? the the cross, yep. and we're on the tail end of seeing the, the life cycle of the technology. Mm. So Facebook, okay, uh, I don't know, Friendster yeah. to Facebook to, I guess, Instagram, now Twitter, right, right. and now maybe to TikTok. Right. So it's interesting to see like these life cycles or the, the life cycle of it. Not say that it will uh, die out, right, but right. it will lose popularity because right. a younger generation is picking it up. Right, right, so it, right. it goes to assume that within three, maybe three years, TikTok would subside, then a new one will come mm, up. But yeah. it also begs the question like, as because age only goes one way. Right. It doesn't go back. Right. And if you're running a business, I think it's, it's also important to consider how do you uh, stay Relevant? Quote, unquote. I think relevant is a very bad mm. word. It's more like, how do you communicate your ideas to a generation where the divide is getting uh, more and more apart? And attention span getting less and lesser. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think that's always uh, uh, an interesting thought to have. Yeah. Because all these are still, quote, unquote, new technology. Sure. We only know the repercussions of, let's say, someone using TikTok or not even using quote unquote, but just having it, viewing it casually. Mm-hmm. We we'll only, we'll only know the repercussions a couple years down the road. I think yeah. recently there was a lot of, uh, Facebook got a lot of flack because of the way Facebook owns Instagram. Yeah. And 
by the nature of Facebook, they have internal reports showing that uh, the algorithm kind of promotes a certain type of picture or a certain type of lifestyle to maybe underage children, mm. girls, and it promotes uh, certain negative behaviors. Right. Yeah. Oh. Only recently, because the technology is so new. Right. It's only right, been five, right. six years and only recently a report came out. So oh, really? It is often least your experiment. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. This is a scary place. It's only going to get scarier. Yeah. As yeah. It, these things go one way. We're right. not going to go back to mailing. Right, right. Yeah email and whatever's next it's right. only gonna go one way <laughs> I, I think podcast is well how do you thought on podcast come again what are your thoughts on podcast as a way to i just think it's uh same as books books mm. are one of the first technologies right if you see technology as a way of disseminating information mm, mm. and a podcast is that i think there is no inherently good or bad podcast right um i think it'll be more uh I personally think it would be more relevant mm. because it is getting to the point where every individual is like their own quote-unquote brand. Right. And by that, they have their own thoughts. Yes. Hence, like people have their own YouTube channels. Right, <laughs> see, right, I right. see some content where it's just them viewing a YouTube video and their reaction. <laughs> so, but it, it, it is kind of funny if you think about it like 20 years or 10 years yeah. ago but, but this is what people are interested in they're interested right. in the personality right, however right. real or however fake it is right right so in 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 thinking about that train of thought so yeah I think having the the technology to speak your own thoughts and whatever mm. I think it's it's gonna be very natural yeah yeah like right segueing I saw the the vlogs you did oh yeah 100 <laughs> vlogs yeah yes yes that was actually one of the Every year I have this uh, do one thing that scares you. That was actually one of them. Was it uh, a suggestion for someone or you just you just thought about it? No. So um, one of the things that um, I wanted to uh, be good at was like, I want to learn confidence. Confidence is a skill. It's a skill. Um, okay. I think it's a muscle. I don't think it's a skill. <laughs> okay. Yes. Now okay. that you say, yeah, confidence is a muscle. Okay. Yeah. Um, the good thing is it can be trained. Right, mm. you know, um, and uh, and and that was one of the things that I wanted to. I won't say like, oh, I don't have confidence right now, but I want to have much more confident about, um, at least also behind a camera because of the nature of the work I do. I get a lot of, um, uh, like features on magazines and stuff like that, and um, I used to hate that. I used to avoid that, but um, so I thought, you know, the best way to do it is just like. To just do it. It's just like take a camera and go on and film yourself. Plus, um, I wanted to be good at storytelling. You know, um, I want to learn how to edit videos, and I just decided one hundred videos in one hundred days. So on paper, theoretically, it it sounds like a good thing to do. Ah uh, yes. <laughs> so how did the actual experience uh, go? Oh man, like I had to carry a camera the whole day around, and there are days where you just have nothing to say, and the editing process was a chore. Like, oh, definitely. Yeah, I had days where I'm like tired because I'm a very early sleeper. I'm in bed by 9.30. Oh yeah. God, I found another one. <laughs> wow, <laughs> really? I've heard of people doing that. Okay. I've met one before and I'm good to know you're another one. <laughs> yeah, I'm an early sleeper. Okay, okay. And uh, when I was on the 100 days, I slept at like close to 12 every day and that just messes oh, my whole yeah, life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, and then like just pissed on myself there were days where I just fell asleep and I woke up and uh, you know continue to edit again so um, yeah I, I, I'm glad that project is done but I'm, I'm going back to vlogging yeah I'm just 
trying to find um, the angle because the 100 days was more like I'm just going to film anything and everything. Yep. Um, and it allowed me to figure out like what to, um, what was the direction, what's the story, how do I want to present myself and uh, in December, I'm going to relaunch it again. Yeah. What have and, you learned about yourself throughout that 100 days? Um, one of the biggest thing was try not to be perfect. Um, in everything I do, I, I'm not sure in the whole creative space is this a thing, but um, I feel like you know, they always say perfect is the enemy of the good or something like that. Perfect is the enemy of done. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Um, and, you know, at work, there's always, I want to make the, the 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 picture clearer, the colors nicer and stuff. And in the end, I just get nothing published. And mm. the 100 days really forces you to just like, just push the button and just let let it out. And, um, and focus on getting things done rather than doing it perfectly. Again, uh, it depends on the context of what you're trying to do. Sometimes it's better to make sure that it's perfect, like you're taking your exams, yep. you know. Um, but for at least the work I do, I think one of my biggest problems is like um, uh, like getting things done. Like there's a lot of different projects, ideas that I have, but I just spend way too much time overanalyzing, thinking. So that project really allowed me to focus on being imperfect, but like really getting it done. Um, and... Um, you know, if you watch some of the videos, there are sometimes where I just like half of the video it got cut out, <laughs> and yeah, I was like, screw it, I'm too tired, I'm just gonna upload it. Yeah, cut out, no sound. Um, and yeah, you know, even on camera, like the first video, I'm gonna make sure my hair's right, you know, and like my my shirt's cool. But after that, I'm just like singlet all the way. I think I saw like day one, and I skipped to like day ninety almost. Oh, <laughs> it's, right, like, right. it's like singlet, it's just like a cap. I was like, screw this shit, man. <laughs> yeah, so uh, yeah. But great. but did it help you in in achieving that, that idea of confidence you were looking at? Oh, for sure, a hundred percent. Um, one of the big things I realized was. Um, I use okay at the very beginning of while filming the project, um, I would not be able to look at a camera and have a full sentence without having filler words like uh, uh, e, yeah. or, and it's a chore to get them edited. Oh god, yeah, you know. <laughs> um, but when I reached to the end, I realized that I could just speak a full sentence. Like my train of thoughts are just much better. I can, uh, better articulate what I want to say. Uh, and you know just have a better flow of conversation even now doing this podcast I don't think I would have been able to have such a long conversation without having the uh, R, E, or much and um, you know just really getting the whole hang of it and just more confident in being like recorded being on camera and you know like which is much more helpful in, in a lot of things like like today yeah. know, it's much more natural Yeah. so it's a it's a, it's a great skill like, i would say yeah, yeah. It, it's more like an intangible skill that people often overlook yes. because there is there's very little ways to measure it yes i mean let's say if it's like mathematics mm. or physics you can obviously put it through a test a standardized test but i think skills such as even going down to like leadership yeah how you talk how you present yourself yes you can go for a course and all that yeah. you can learn theoretically right but i think ultimately it's up to the individual to kind of uh, process that yeah and to embody that i think the word is embodiment because right you can know okay you you should always speak uh look at someone and stuff like that. but i think mm. when you are of a certain personality type you tend to have different habits or different patterns that right. until you find your way to be quote unquote uh extroverted for certain scenarios right yeah it will never work exactly yeah exactly and also one of the things that i felt like i learned 
uh, a lot about myself is also um honestly i think i lost my train of thought now it's my turn <laughs> yeah it's a virus uh, yeah uh, i learned a lot about myself oh yeah of not worrying actually this was one of the biggest thing why i started was um i was very i was always and it's something i've struggled with since i was young i was one of my biggest weakness was worrying about what other people uh, thought about me that mm. has been always my that's why i was always anxious in my life is why i wanted to you know, go to Everest and stuff. And even until today, it's something I've been working on. Obviously, now I'm much, much better at it. But it's at the back of your head. It's at the back of my head, right? Um, I think everyone, to a certain extent, had feel like that. For, that's the uh, human condition. Yeah, that's a human, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I felt like um, doing that project, 100 Days Project, really it's one, uh, an, an act where I can really force myself to like, I don't care what everyone's thinking because you're putting yourself out there uh shamelessly you know talking about your views and your thoughts and putting your face up there and stuff so uh that that again oh yeah that was probably the one of the biggest piece like takeaway and also why i started the project but even powering through because i think it is natural and valid to feel this when you when you are self-conscious or whatever yeah. but it's also interesting to know that this project is done by you and yes. it's you're accountable to yourself yeah you can always get to like day like 40 and you're like yeah okay today i tired like, then right, right, you can right. just, it's always like that but right. you were accountable to yourself you Correct. did everything yeah and you know like i feel like if i put a word out like i'm going to do it every day then like i gotta make sure i finish it. otherwise everyone's watching you know and 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 that's that's why i want to put it out there rather than i could just film and not publish it yep. you know um so that that for me was important to make sure that people like help me accountable for it yeah I think as as we wind on the conversation, I I'm curious to know the the the, the mantra that you had about uh, doing something that scares you. You want to do something that scares you like every year. Mm. Did you get it from somewhere? Do you remember? Yeah. So uh, it started when on I think 2016. So I was sitting around with my friend having a beer, and I just told him like, "Oh, I want to start eating right. I want to sleep early, and all that kind of stuff." And uh, on Christmas that that day, uh, he gave me a book, and on the front cover of the book, he wrote like, "Instead of doing all these new year resolutions, I challenge you to do one thing that scares you next year." And uh, I still have that book, and it's like it's just one mantra that I live by. Yeah, and I tell these stories wherever people I go. It's like that one book, that one quote. And my friend even told me like, "Man, like I inspired <laughs> myself," you know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. it's interesting to 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 look back and to ponder the happenstance of him even writing that because yeah. that is additional work that he might not have needed to go through. He could have written yeah. something different, right? Right. And the whole path that you might have went on yeah. it could be different. And you know, he I, he probably didn't thought too much about it you know it's just like hey just do something that scares you man stop whining you know? <laughs> it's, maybe, yeah. maybe it's a response yeah. to you but <laughs> I don't know man but um, that's just one mantra I, I, I live by yeah okay so the last question I have is what does success look like to you in 2021 today success look like to me is um, for me I think it's about doing something that i'm afraid of and actually doing it um and um not get worried about what other people think um and also in the process hopefully i get to discover you know while doing the things i'm afraid of get to discover a little bit of my strength and then use that to create some positive impact in the world around me yeah 
That's a yes. brilliant way to end this uh, podcast. Is there anything else you would like to talk about before we end? No, I mean, check out booksbeyondborders.org. I'm going to do a little bit of self-promote. Um, yeah. we where, where can people find you? Where's um, the shop? So we are at 41 Jalan Pemimpin. Um, we are open on Friday, Saturday, Sundays. We don't take walk-ins. People can only RSVP. Uh, on Instagram, we are booksbeyond.borders. Um, on our website, we have all the information, my story, um, where we are based at, uh, booksbeyondborders.org. And if anyone want to connect, uh, you know, I'd love to hear from you. you. Okay. One last thing. You introduced a very interesting function on the uh, website where yeah. people can buy everything and ship it out later or something like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why? Um, so, you know, like, you've been to, I'm sure you've been to an e-commerce store and you just like, you know, the free shipping is like $50 and yep, you only yep. can find like $40 and um, it's such a waste. Like, I mean, in terms of like the customer experience, it's like, man, you know, like I just need $10 more and stuff and everything we do at Books Beyond Borders, we focus on like what's the most value, how can we bring the most value to our customers, be it the quality of our books, the service, and I think that, you know, we shouldn't force people to buy books that they don't want just to hit like the free shipping. So we allow people with a function to um, buy because we upload books every single day on our website. So you, you refresh the page tomorrow, you see new books. We allow them to keep buying until they hit the, uh, the minimum purchase amount and then they get to ship it out for free. So shipping will always be free if they, you know, they, they're not urgently look like yep. having the book. Um, and I would say like 80% of people use that right now. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, thank you, Randall. Thank you for your time. This has been a fantastic and pleasant conversation. Thank you so much for this opportunity, man. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode and feel inspired. If you enjoyed what you heard thus far, do give us a follow on Instagram. And don't forget to share and subscribe. Stay tuned for the next episode.